where we're talking about this new life. We're spending the whole year talking about what it is to have life in the kingdom of God. When Jesus Christ came, he brought this new life in this new reality that is the, the kingdom of God. And for those of us who repent and believe the gospel, we, we have this glorious opportunity for the kingdom of God to grow in us and then through us. And it's important, I haven't mentioned this to you in a while, uh, to understand what the kingdom of God is. So remember this, the definition's on the screen. The kingdom of God is the governing authority of Jesus over powers, people, and places for God's praise according to the scripture. And again, this, this kingdom, it grows in us and then through us as, as we seek to live for the Lord, as we seek, as we're going to see in our scripture today, to glorify God. In uh, the, the 17th century, there was a, a, an assembly, Westminster Assembly, that gathered together. It was, it was made up of pastors and theologians, but also lay leaders in the congregation as they sought to define what are the fundamentals of the Christian faith according to the scriptures. And once they were done with this, this massive volume, they, they, they realized, you know what, we need something just a little bit smaller, right? We need kind of a Clestos version. And so they created the shorter catechism. And this really was for children and new converts to be able to understand the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And the way they would teach it is there would be a question and then there would be a short answer. And I've always loved this question. What is the chief end of man? The answer the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I've always been grateful for this instruction and the way it ties together glorifying God and enjoying him. Because if I'm honest, when I was saved, I didn't really understand and I'm not sure I actually believed that. See, I was saved in June of 1988 and I was saved because I had come to the conclusion there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And I understood that my sin had condemned me and that I deserved to go to hell, but I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And so it was on that night that I repented of my sin and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I did that because I wanted to go to heaven. I gave up what I really wanted, which at that time was sin, to, to gain that which I could not lose, which was heaven. But to my delight, as I grew in Christ, one of the things I, I realized is that I really did enjoy God. I enjoyed his being. I enjoy his word. I enjoy his life. I enjoy his people. And, and one of the things I get to do and we get to do as God's people is we get to glorify him. We get to be a part of what he's doing in the world and praise his great name. And as we do that, we actually enjoy him. We can say what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And for those of us who truly know God, and if you truly know the God of the Bible... You can't help but glorify him for who he is. And if you truly are obeying and living in the God of the Bible, you can't help but enjoy him. Today, uh, we're going to, to learn what, what it looks like to glorify God in the real world. Now, last week, we, we were looking at what does it mean to pursue God in the real world. And hopefully you'll remember we studied both Jeremiah and Daniel. They were... Um, 
contemporaries of one another to some extent. And, and you'll remember that, that Jeremiah showed us the path we're to take. Remember, there's three paths. There's the path of isolation that the lying prophets were providing, the path of assimilation that the Babylonians were demanding, but then there's the path of invigoration, which is the path that Jesus Christ calls us to and that the prophet Isaiah was teaching when he commanded the people to, to go and care for the welfare of the city where the Lord had led them. What we saw in Daniel was a model of how to do that, how to pursue God in a godless culture. And what our text helps us do today is to understand what it means to glorify God as we pursue him in a godless culture. And so uh, our text today is Ezra chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Ezra chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13. Millie's going to come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Ezra. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Millie, go ahead and read that for us. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and their Levites, the sons of Aspa with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for the steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses Old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. So many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from their sound of the people's weeping from the pe people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Millie. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated and pray for the preaching of God's word. Isn't it so sweet to hear these children read God's word? And they are so, so intelligent. I'm not going to lie to you. It's intimidating to then preach after that. They are so, so bright. As we're looking at our text today, I want to I I give you a little bit of instruction. I want you to understand something about the Bible itself. So from 2 Kings on, there are three eras that you need to familiarize yourself with. Uh, Bible theologians, this is just kind of a general knowledge thing that you, that you need to know. There are three era, eras. The, the first era is, is what is known as the pre-exilic time. Uh, the, the exile marks uh, the, the God's people from 2 Kings on. And there's a pre-exilic people. The, the time before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 586. And there are a group of prophets that are, that are marked by where they stood and when they taught and when they prophesied in, in terms of the exile. So there are a number of pre-exilic prophets like Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. And then there are two, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who were both pre-exilic, but then also exilic. So exilic, that's the time of the exile when there was no temple. And there were four of those prophets. Of course, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but, but also Daniel and Esther. And last week, if you'll remember, we studied Daniel. He was an exilic prophet. He was in exile. He was in a godless culture. And he modeled for us what it is to, to pursue God in a godless culture. But then there's a post-exilic time. It's the time of Israel's return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple until the prophecy of Malachi. 
From, now from Malachi, that begins the intertestament period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are a number of, of post-exilic prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, our text is post-exilic. And really, it begins the time of the, of the post-exilic era because they begin to rebuild the temple, which, which God said would, would happen. God promised in his word that the temple would be rebuilt. Now, again, the, the, the prophets and, and some of the prophets in Jeremiah's day were lying. They were saying, oh, it's going to happen immediately. It's just going to be a couple of years. And Jeremiah said, no, they're lying. It's going to take 70 years. There's going to be a duration. And so we, we need to be living for God and waiting for him to call us back and, and be patient and, and be faithful. Now, this time of, 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 of the building of the temple, it was promised and, and it, was, it was prophesied. I want to show you something very powerful. This, this to me gives uh, just a, a reminder of the greatness and the glory of God. You're there in Ezra chapter 3. Go back a couple of pages in your Bible to the end of, of 2 Chronicles. I want to show you something there. 2 Chronicles ends with a message of hope to, to God's people, uh, making us mindful of the power of God to fulfill his promise of the kingdom of God. Second Chronicles, look at the last few verses there in, in Second Chronicles 36. Look at verses 22 and, and, and 23. And notice the, the name of the person that's repeated three times here. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and, put, and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, you all his people, may, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. God had destined Cyrus for this work. Isaiah the prophet spoke of this. Let me, let me show you these two very powerful verses. This is on the screen. This is Isaiah 44, 28. It says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Which is what our, our text is teaching us today is about the laying of this promised foundation. Isaiah 45, 1. Again, Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Let me tell you why. Because Isaiah was written 150 years before Cyrus was born. God named Cyrus and destined him to do this work 150 years before he was born. Think about the year you were born. Now think about what was happening 150 years before that time. Let me put it in another context. Michael Jordan was born in 1963. Imagine if in 1811 that a book had been produced, written, a respected book, a book that people said, this book is true. This book has authority. This book has proven true over and over again. Everything that this book has said, we, we know something and have seen something of it actually happening. What if a book like that had been written in 1811 that said, Michael Jordan, he's a baller. He will make a dunk that will be pictured on shoes, hats, and clothes and make billions of dollars. 
That's what is happening in the Bible right here. Isaiah named Cyrus, said what he would do. What we read in Chronicles is, is, is God saying, told you, that's what I said I was going to do. And so what our text is, let's now go back to, to Ezra chapter 3. What we see here is, is, is God doing what he said Cyrus was going to do and what Cyrus said was going to happen and now made happen. And, and here's what we need to take away from, from this. There's so many things you can take away from this, but please take this away. God is in control. God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we pray it. The kingdom of God is on the move. The kingdom of God is growing in all who believe and pursue him to, to, to glorify him. The kingdom of God is growing in us and also through us. And, and that, that is a great joy to those of us who believe. This, this working of God in the world, it leads us to glorify him. And the more we glorify him, the more we will enjoy him. Now, there's lots of ideas. The Bible teach so, teaches us so much about glorifying God. There's four things I want to show you in today's text. So if, if you would find your way back to Ezra chapter 3. And, and let's get back into verse 10 and following. And, and let's look at these four ways of, of what it means. What it means to, to, to glorify God. The first is this. Glorifying God means responding with singing about the Lord's love. As, as, we, uh, as we enjoy this, 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 this way, this experience at the beginning of the, of the service where there was responsive, that, where, where Jason read one and we responded, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That, that, that's what's happening here in, in verse 11. Understand that Christians, God's people are a singing people. We are notably a singing people. We're commanded to sing. It says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 5, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gracious, gloriously. Let, let this be made known to all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And it's not just the Old Testament. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And please understand, there is and there forever will be singing in heaven. It says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 3, and they were singing a new song. That's important. A new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. The, the style of, of singing, it, 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 is, it is always, for those of us who believe, it's always responsive. We sing because of who God is. God is the action. We are the reaction. Our singing is reaction to the greatness and to the glory of God. Our reaction creates enjoyment. When we celebrate the, the glory of the Lord, there's an enjoyment that exists in the hearts of those who believe because we have reason to glory in God. We have reason to smile and shout and, and sing and, and rejoice in the Lord always because of his goodness we sing because of what God has done. I love uh, Linda Randall's, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. This song has, has, has brought great joy to my heart in my, being mindful that God is in control. God is watching. He's watching me. And there's a reason why we sing. 
we sing. They, the, the people in Ezra's day, they, in, as they were laying the foundation, why were they singing? They, they shared a similar experience and calling. This experience of being brought out of exile, out of darkness, into the glorious light of God, into this new freedom. And that's what we share as believers. We share this experience, this calling out of darkness, out of death, out of damnation and hell, in, into freedom, into forgiveness, into heaven, into the kingdom of God. And they had this unique opportunity and perspective. Here they were laying the foundation. Was it hard? Yes, it was hard. Was it scary? Yes, it was scary. Was it easy? Of course not. Of course it wasn't. But what a glorious opportunity to serve the Lord. To, to, to be remembered as those who were faithful. That's the opportunity we have in our day. In a culture that is, that is condemning God and his people, condemning the word and the truth, we, we get to stand in this time. And I promise you, 200 years from now, they're going to say, boy, you guys had to stand strong in North America. They, they weren't trying to, to, to kill your bodies. They were trying to kill your heart and soul and minds, slowly deadening you to the truth and the power of the existence of God and trying to overwhelm you with culture. Every generation has its battle. Every generation has an opportunity. And when we stand together, we sing because God is faithful. They had a powerful faith in God and so do we. Our faith is powerful, not because we are powerful, but because the object of our faith is powerful and because the faith that we have is a gift of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason, if you believe today, the reason you believe is because you have been born again. No one chooses to be born. It's something that happens to you. You are born again by the Spirit of God, John chapter 3 tells us. And because of that new life given to us in Christ Jesus, we have faith. And in that faith, we believe. And it's a great faith. It's a powerful faith. And, and so we sing. We sing. And the singing, it speaks to our shared communion in Christ. It's this family with Christ. It's all of Christ. It's desire for Christ. And, and singing is so powerful and so important to our faith. Many of us, we can point to particular songs and they're very important to us. And when we sing those songs in the gathered church, I see smiles on faces. I hear the volume go up because people know certain songs more than others and they, they bring the light. And here's why. It's because there's an experience that you have had that is connected to that song. When, when, when my daughter Mackenzie was a little girl, um, I, I would... I would rock her to sleep every night and, and I would sing one of two songs. Uh, the one song would be Sweet, Sweet Baby, which I wrote, which I, I will share with you at, at a later time if you need it. It's a good song, solid, solid. Um, and, and then uh, the other song was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And yesterday as I walked her down the aisle, we walked down to Great Is Thy Faithfulness. But the other song we sang yesterday was the goodness of God, which also speaks to the faithfulness of God. A new song that speaks to the faithfulness of God. An old song that speaks to the faithfulness of God. See, when we experience music and we sing to the Lord, we, we sing in a moment where either we are growing or not growing. And when we're growing and when we're experiencing God in a powerful way, hearing that song creates for us a greater delight. And that song becomes much more meaningful to us. Now, again, music appreciation is subjective. Friends, we must not allow it to divide us. You know, Scripture teaches us to sing and to celebrate new songs. It says in Psalm 149, verse 1, Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a 
Can you say it out loud with me just in case there's anyone who's contradictory? Sing to the Lord a a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Isaiah 42.10. Read it with me. Sing to the Lord a his praise from the end of the earth. And I know some people say, well, that's just the Old Testament. Well, do you know in heaven what they're singing? This is Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang what? Now, some of y'all are not going to like heaven. Why are we guys sing all these new songs? <laughs> Careful. New songs in heaven. New songs. Let, let me tell you what this, this means, new song. It really means there's a new experience and expression of the greatness of God. Friends, if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble singing the new songs, it may be because you're not having a fresh encounter with a living God. See, when you're having a fresh encounter with a living God and a new song is sung, that connects, that song connects with that fresh experience of that renewal in your own heart. Friends, make sure you're singing a new song. Make sure you're responding to the greatness and the goodness of God and you're enjoying him. Yes, we love the old songs. I love the old songs because I have experiences with those songs. I love the new songs because I also have experiences with the new songs. Make sure you can sing a new song in your heart because the experience of glorifying God is real in your life. Secondly, glorifying God means building our lives for the, for the Lord's praise. Building our lives for the Lord's praise, not for ours. The, the laying of the foundation of the temple, it was a significant moment. It spoke to the fact that God was taking what was broken and he was bringing wholeness. He was taking the temple that was broken and he was now bringing it back. He was bringing life to that community. He was bringing life to this people because the temple, it, it represented their, their life and expression and glory to God. Uh, understand what Christ has done for every one of us who've ever repented and believed the gospel. He's given us new life. So when, when we look at the three circles and we understand God's design, we understand the world is not as it should be. And we understand there's brokenness in the world because of sin. But when we repent and believe the gospel, what happens? We get a new life. We have a new start. We have a fresh beginning and we become something we weren't before. You were always loved by God. Make no mistake. God loved he loves every human being made in his image on this planet. He loves all of us. But he only saves those who repent and believe. And that salvation changes who we are. We become something holy. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, what do we become? Or do you not know that your body is a temple? A temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, how we use our bodies communicates what we think about God. The words that come out of our mouths, the way we treat the poor, the way we treat the rich, the way we treat those in our home, the way we process God and process human experience, war and pain and suffering and birth and marriage and, and renewal. Where do our eyes go when these things are happening? What words proceed from our mouths? What affections are stirred? As God's people, we are the temple of God and we are called to glorify God. 
We are called to delight in God. You'll remember when we were studying First and Second Kings just a few weeks ago, I told you, whenever you're studying those books, look to see how they treated the temple. However they treated the temple, it tells you everything about what they believed about God. Friends, you are the temple of God if you are saved. How are you treating your temple? Are you letting idols in there? Are you letting dark things in there? What's coming out of the temple? Is it praise? Is it glory? Is it the light? What kind of temple are you? We, we are saved by grace and we are to build this temple. We are to building our lives for the Lord's praise to give him glory and honor. And when we do that, there's going to be a new longing. Write this down and remember, glorifying God means longing with weeping for the Lord's renown. These old men, they were weeping because they, they saw this construction, this foundation, and they were thinking to themselves, this is not going to be enough. This doesn't bring renown to our, our great God. This isn't enough. And, and here's why they were feeling that. In the ancient Near East during that time, architecture as it is today was very important. And the size and the scope of, of, a, of a religious place said really what the people thought of that deity. And, and what these guys were saying, the, these older guys were weeping because they were saying, it's not enough. He's not going to get renowned for this. You know, the architecture in our day is telling. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you look at pictures of large cities, specifically in the Northeast, in the 18th century, what you will find is the tallest buildings, the, the thing you would see from a distance would be the steeple with a cross on it. When you go to large cities now, what do you see? You see tall buildings of business. The architecture tells us what we value in our culture. Churches are disappearing, businesses are growing. We need a revival, we need an awakening. And so here's what these guys were doing. They were thinking, this, this isn't good. The, the, the new guys were just like, hey, we got a temple, awesome. It's new. And they had a new song. The older guys, I don't know if it's enough. They, let me tell you though, they were all kind of caught up in the wrong thing. See, we as Christians, we get so caught up in the size of the building, the size of our congregation. We get so, so caught up in, 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 in the way we're perceived in the culture. But friends, you know what really matters? Is there a, a manifest presence of the power of God in our midst? What we need to be most concerned about is are we experiencing the one true God? See, when, when Moses' tabernacle was constructed, look what happened. This is uh, Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Remember what happened with Solomon's temple, the first temple? Uh, it's recorded here in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord never filled the second temple. As a matter of fact, the second temple was never filled with the presence of God until when Jesus was eight years old and he was brought to be presented by his parents. That temple was built to point to the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And what we are able to do is we are able to acknowledge Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And we are able to, to long and, and to even weep that his name would be renowned in our nation, in our lives, in our homes. And, and when, we, when we do that, there's going to be a movement of our affections. There's going to be a strong desire. And, and it may, even among Baptists, lead to a little shouting. <laughs> Write it down and remember. Glorifying God means shouting with gladness for the Lord's salvation. Shouting. So the people could not, they were shouting so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout for the sound of the people's weeping. For the, the people shouted with a great shout. And look at this. And the sound was heard far away. There's something powerful about the proclamation of God's people. I love the fact that we have speakers attached to our building some time ago, uh, there was music coming from our building on a Sunday morning and uh, a lady was walking and she was depressed and discouraged and she heard the music and she came in to this worship center and we were singing and she sat down, didn't really understand it all, but she heard the gospel and she was saved. That's what God does. When God's people celebrate, let's give God praise for that. Some of you are like. <laughs> but there's more than one way to shout praise. You know, when the tornadoes hit our city, Living Hope shouted praise to God. And you know what we shouted to our city? Let's yeah, let's go help. We love you. We're coming. God, we as God's representative people, we, we love you. We're coming. And we, we shouted, I love, this is 1 Peter 2.12. Make sure you know this one. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Please understand, living hope, that so long as we stand on the word of God in our decaying culture, we're going to be criticized. We, we're going to be called names. We need to take that as a badge of honor. Be very careful about who you allow to praise you and be very mindful who, of who criticizes you. Your critics in their criticism sometimes are, are bringing glory to your God and identifying you as one of his people. Be careful if those who do not love the Lord God and his word are not criticizing you because they do not perceive you as a threat and they do not think that your, your existence or your faith matters. We must love our city. We must love our nation and we must love them so that we shout to the Lord and bring glory to his name and we make clear who he is and what he's done. We must fulfill our mission. What is our mission? To impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And we do that by gathering for worship, equipping for growth, connecting in a group, serving the church and world, and making disciples. Absolutely. And at the heart of that, yes, we, we gather for worship and we sing praise to God. But then we got to go. Friends, you got to go today. You got to go and you got to go tell people of this God you worship today. Tell them of what he's done and don't assume that he, don't assume that they get it. Don't assume that they know it. Look, I know 
The Bible is, is the number one published book in, in all of English literature by a landslide. And here's what I know. Your neighbors and the people you work with and, and the kids you go to school with, they can read this book. If they, if they were so inclined, they could read it. And, and they could go and they could find it. There's, there's churches they could. And I know that's the thinking. Well, they already know. Friends, they don't know. Let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. My daughter was married. I knew she was getting married. I knew I was going to perform the ceremony. I knew most of what I was going to say. I never know entirely. Keeps everybody on their heels. I don't like when people fall asleep. What I knew is that we had family pictures at 2.30. What I didn't know was that there was going to be a daddy-daughter picture at 12.30. Mm-hmm. So it was on the list. It was written black and white. It was right there. Well, I missed it. And so I went and took Charlie for a walk. And right as I got home, I got that call from my precious, beautiful, wonderful, loving wife. <laughs> who, by the way, is just awesome and great. But she asked me a question that made my blood pressure go up. Oh, all men, all husbands, you know, oh, when you answer that phone and there's not a hello, you know, hello? There's no, no like, hey, how's it going? Not, not, it's just all you hear, where are you? <laughs> where am I supposed to be? Well, right now you're supposed to be taking pictures with your daughter. You know what I said? Nobody told me. She knew I was going to say that. So immediately she said, check the text I just sent you. And it was a picture of the program that said my name and what time I was supposed to be taking pictures. Well, I paid for it. So I got over there when I got there. And we got the pictures taken exactly the way they told me to take the pictures. Guys, let me tell you something. I know that God has spoken through his word. I know people can read this Bible. I know people see churches. I know they see and they, they don't, but they're like me. They need you to tell them. Your neighbors and your friends and the people in your house, the people you work with, they need you to say, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that Jesus died for your sins? Do you know that Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead? Do you know that there's a heaven and a hell and you're going to spend eternity in one of those two? Do you know that, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? You've got to tell them. Don't assume they've read it. Don't assume that they know it. Don't assume they understand it. Tell them what God has done in you. Tell them what the word of God says. Tell them, shout. You don't have to raise your voice, but make sure it's heard. And there are reverberations that go through our city because of the people of Living Hope. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh, Father God, you are so kind and generous and, and we worship you and we praise you. But Lord, I can't, I can't help but know that there are some who cannot do that rightly today because they don't have a personal relationship with you. And so today I pray that they will begin that. Care leaders, if you would come forward. Lord God, I pray for, for those who are lost right now that, that they, would, they would say to you, God, I know I've sinned. Please forgive me. 
Lord Jesus, I know you've been raised from the dead. Please live in my life and take over my life. If you've never prayed that and you've never been saved, say that right now, pray that right now, and then come and talk with one of these leaders at the front and and ask them to help you. That's why they're here. They want to help you. Father, I pray for those who long for your name to, to receive renown in our culture. Lord, I know that there, there are many, we, we as Living Hope, we, we really do, God. We as a people, we want to make your name known. We celebrate when those that, that are saved are saved. Father, move us by the power of your Holy Spirit to tell people what you've done, to share the gospel, to gather for worship and invite them to come, yes, but also then to go to share what you've done. Friends, real quick, just ask the Holy Spirit to affirm or convict you right now. Answer this question. Are you sharing the gospel? Or are you just assuming your, your friends and your family and the people you hang out with and around already know? Commit to share the gospel right now. Think of two or three people right now that you know that are lost and pray for them. And this week, tell them, hey, I want to let you know I prayed for you and and here's what I prayed. Pray for their salvation right now and then tell them that you're praying for their salvation. If they're broken, if they need healing, pray for their healing right now. Pray for the things that are, that are broken in their lives to be mended by the grace of God. And, and tell them, I'm praying for your healing. I'm praying that your relationships and your life will be mended by the power of God. Tell them. Tell them. Father God, bless us as we go to tell the world of your love. And as we go to be the temples in our culture. Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us your peace. We promise to give you all the glory for it. Do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.